and welcome to Shameless, the pop culture podcast for smart people who love dumb stuff. You're joined, as always, by Melbourne journalists Michelle Andrews and Zara McDonald. Hello. Hello. Coming up on today's show, the influencer who broke Melbourne's lockdown laws and was taken down by social media vigilantism. Then is Rihanna planning total world domination and a big bumper segment on The Bachelor Australia's premiere, including that red air rant that, well, kind of stopped the country. But first, Michelle, how was your week? I had a bloody good week. Week, which is as much of a surprise to me as I'm sure it is to everyone listening given we are in stage four lockdown. I do have a story I haven't told you yet, Zara, but obviously stage four lockdown, I'm not seeing many people apart from my partner. Really, the only people I'm seeing is occasionally someone in my area when I go for a walk. However, every single day I've been going to the dog park, watching Benji like run around with all the other dogs. And I was like looking across the park, I think it was on Monday last week, looking across the park and I just see this woman with blonde hair in a green coat, just like walking past with milk bottles filled with water and like cleaning supplies. And I'm looking at her being like, that looks like my mum. I see her go over to the footy benches on the side of the oval. What's like a footy bench? Do you mean like a, a normal bench? No, so a footy bench, but with like a perspex plasticky oh, covering yes 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 like a, like to shield you from the rain which are very very dirty at the local park by the way i see her walk over and just start vigorously scrubbing <laughs> all of the perspex sheets it has been her isolation project in stage four to single-handedly clean these three massive footy benches while in lockdown. Vicky Andrews is the Melbourne lockdown hero. I don't think we knew we needed it. She literally stopped me. She's like, Michelle, I'm not walking past these yuck benches again. I'm cleaning them. And I'm like, oh my God, if that doesn't sum up like our priorities right now, nothing else. <laughs> I do have something to recommend for everyone though. This is actually a recommendation that I probably should have given a few weeks ago when Jess Nguyen, who is the unofficially official shameless head chef. What is Jess Nguyen's title? She does a recipe for our newsletter every week. Yeah, Shameless Head Chef. Shameless Head Chef. She did a recipe a few weeks ago called Green Shakshuka, the Shameless Green Shakshuka. And basically baked eggs is my favourite food in the entire world. I don't only eat it for breakfast and lunch. I have been known to eat it for dinner. Yeah, which is weird because I don't don't endorse breakfast food for dinner, but that's for another time. I'm a huge fan of breakfast food for dinner. Jess Nguyen has made this like incredible recipe. It is so healthy, so healthy to the point and like includes so many green vegetables to the point where I was like, there's no way this could taste good. Like, there's no way I'm going to put this in my mouth and think, yum. Somehow she managed to do it. And I have made green shakshuka every Saturday morning for the last month or so. What have you been throwing in it? So it's got broccoli, zucchini, leeks, onion, You can add like things like peas. It's kind of like a choose your own adventure thing. She kind of gives the rundown of vegetables you could include and you just look in your pantry and your fridge and you just chuck anything in. So I've kind of made it three different ways three weeks in a row. But holy shit, it is so good and it is so yum. I highly recommend it. So go visit her Instagram page if you want to try it, Jessica underscore Nguyen underscore. It is bloody incredible. What about you? How was your week? Week was great too. We're defying the odds here in Melbourne, aren't we? (laughs) Look at us go. We announced on Instagram, Mish, that somehow we managed to weasel ourselves into the orbit of Jamila Jamil and we interviewed her. I'm dying. I'm still dying. We did the interview this morning. I can't even cope with it. Well, the thing is, 
I'm not probably going to bother acting very chill about it. I was the most nervous for that that I have been. I can't remember being that nervous in so many years, honestly. <laughs> the funny thing is, is that we we jumped on the video call that we had spent weeks teeing up with Jamila's team, who we are very, very grateful for. We're grateful for everyone <laughs> who was involved in this process. And you and I just kind of stared at each other. We logged on 20 minutes early because we had nothing else to do other than like spend our nerves kind of awkwardly looking at each other via video chat and I literally couldn't speak to you all I could do was look at my lap and like shake a little bit because I was so anxious about a tech difficulty or about the dates being confused because she's in LA like I can't believe it happened. I'm still in shock. For three nights in a row, I had these like extreme, very vivid dreams that we forgot to push record or she kept like running away from her microphone and we couldn't catch the audio. <laughs> like a ridiculous amount of anxiousness. Anyway, I am so excited to share that chat. She was an absolute delight, an absolute dream. And that drops on Thursday. So I just genuinely can't wait for you all to listen to it. In terms of recommendations, Michelle, I think you'll be stoked to hear that I'm not going to recommend an episode of The Daily. I'm so I proud. kind of wanted to. <laughs> I am going to recommend a drink. Okay, why? So I have stumbled upon, I say I have stumbled upon, it actually wasn't me and it wasn't Ollie, it was actually Ollie's brother, stumbled upon the best cocktail I've ever had in my entire Whoa. life. I'm going to make you drink it the moment you're drinking again after your health kick. It is called a Bloody Floradora and it uses four pillars, Shiraz Gin, and it is, I'm not kidding, it's just it is incredible wait wait wait, backtrack a bloody flora dora it's called a bloody flora dora you need four (laughs) pillars of shiraz gin which is not the cheapest gin on the market oh my god has been voted like the best gin in the world it's incredible if anyone is looking for a little weekend spice make this drink i promise you i've actually never been more confident in a recommendation (laughs) on this podcast do you give me permission given we just touched on the fact that i think breakfast foods can be dinner foods do you give me permission to one night this week make a green shakshuka dinner and pair it with your bloody Floridora. Yes, please do it. Please do it and review it and review it honestly too, because I think that you'll fall in love with this cocktail so much that you won't even be fucked spiting me. You won't even be fucked. You'll be like, you know what, Zara? It's incredible. Do I need anything fancy to make it? Like I'm not someone fancy who has a cocktail shaker. <laughs> I have nothing. I could make okay, one. You- like, can't you just kind of pair two, gl- this, will, this will make all the bartenders listening to this absolutely wince. Could I just pair two glasses together and kind of smoosh them together and shake? Yeah, I reckon. I'm not like I'm not a cocktail snob here at all I reckon you could use a jar if you wanted so what you actually need it's on the website hunting for George I promise I'll put this in our show notes so you need the Shiraz gin like I said it's not cheap but I promise you it's worth it if payday is coming soon buy it you do the only things that may actually throw you out is you need sweet vermouth which I actually don't know what the hell that is we just had it on us sugar syrup which is easy to make fresh lime juice ginger beer and half a lime just make it Okay, that's all sweet I'm mouth. Do you reckon that's one of those words that we mispronounce that people are going to come for? 100%, because the minute it came out of my <laughs> mouth, I cringed inside a little bit. <laughs> Zara, before we get onto this week's hotline messages, which we can't wait to share, we also have a very exciting, very happy announcement to share. We have raised $10,000 for Safe Steps Victoria. We have. Thank you so much to every single Shameless community member for getting behind this little kind of competition we created during the week. We obviously get sent a bunch of PR stuff and we've been brainstorming for a bit of time about what to actually do with that stuff and how to actually kind of pull it all together and do something good. So 
we pulled together $2,200 worth of products and asked you guys to donate $10 to Safe Steps Victoria in order to go in the running for that prize. You did and we've raised more than $10,000. I think this is something, Mish, that we'll continue to try and do whenever we have enough products and continue to raise money for different charities. Yeah, that's right. We were kind of looking at this growing mountain of products that kept coming into the office and thinking we need to use this for something and I feel like the Friendship Fund is such a great way for everyone to chip in a little and for us to collectively achieve a lot. So to think that it's been one week and we've raised $10,000 is incredible. The competition is still open. So if you want to be in the running to win that $2,200 beauty pack that we have put together with PR packages, head to our Instagram, tag your mates on our Friendship Fund post. Each of you go donate $10 and you'll be in the running. It will close tonight though. So that's Monday the 17th of August, closes tonight at 11.59. Winners will be announced on Tuesday. Exactly. Hey, what have we got in the hotline today? The first hotline message is a really interesting one about labiaplasty after last week's episode on vulva and vagina masks. And just a note about this one too, the audio is a little bit funky, but we loved the message so much we just had to include it. I am responding to your talk last week about labiaplasties and I didn't really notice how important it was and how important the conversation was until I heard you. I actually had a labiaplasty when I was 17. I hadn't had sex at the time so I don't consider it being for my male partner but there was this huge shame around who I was because I didn't think I was normal. I thought I was there was something wrong with me and even though I knew it wasn't affecting me physically or who I was, it was internal and it was something I just I honestly couldn't bear with and I feel really happy that my doctor and my mum were really supportive of me and just allowed me to have the surgery. It was painful. It was horrible. And I've really only told probably two people in my entire life. But it honestly did make me feel more comfortable in myself. And I kind of think about it as a boob job. Some people look at them, you know, really negatively when others think it's just it's a boost of confidence. If you feel better about bigger boobs or smaller boobs, then you do you girl and that's the way I see it it's that it's still a part of me I do understand it's a bit scary when teenagers are making those decisions but if you are supported by a doctor by your family and and by your friends and more so if you're doing it for you then I think you go this was fascinating, Mish, because I think one point that I made in the episode last week was this idea of, and I guess you did too, how uncomfortable we had felt about this world that we're creating for young women where they feel such shame about their vaginas and what they look like that they're going to get labiaplasty surgery, particularly in teenagers. And hearing from the perspective of someone who actually got one as a teenager reminded me again about the complicated reality of talking about plastic surgery. I mean, part of me is always like, should we not just let women make a decision that works for them and is supported by others while still knowing that the whole system is fucked and kind of forces us to consider our bodies in a really warped way. Like there's those two competing factors that I'm always oscillating between. Yeah, same. And I loved that this listener pointed to that as well and said that it's such a, a awful situation to be in but that she's also really happy now and I loved the mention of boob jobs and breast implants because some of the closest people to me some of the people I love more than anyone else in the world have had boob jobs and would say the exact same thing that they've been wonderful for their self-esteem and self-confidence it's not an easy topic there is no straightforward argument that really makes sense as far as feminism goes but what I love is that we can have these conversations and that 
listeners like this one can call in and share their thoughts because that's a really fascinating perspective. I spent a little bit of time stewing on it, Mish, and I think the moral of this kind of whole conversation for me is that we need to find some way to normalise that part of the body. I think that's my key takeaway, whether or not people still want to change it after that, but I think there's such a taboo around what our vaginas and our vulvas look like that so many women are feeling shame when they shouldn't. Totally agree. Let's hear from Chloe. She had some thoughts on TikTok. I just wanted to call to weigh in on TikTok. This is off the back of you speaking about the Beirut explosions and their representation on TikTok in this week's episode. So I joined the app at the end of last year and I had just listened to an episode where you spoke about how as a society we tend to dismiss or devalue things that young women like, like boy bands and Twilight. The app definitely felt like that to me when I first joined. Um, My For You page was just teenagers dancing and dumb jokes, but because of what you said, I decided to give it a red hot crack and I'm so glad I did. Now that the algorithm has worked out what I like, the space is one for me that platforms a whole bunch of perspectives I might not have otherwise had from queer people or from disabled people or from Indigenous people or other people of colour. I've learned so much. I take so much with me through life from what I've learned on that app. And I just wanted to say thank you again for shifting my perspective and opening my eyes as you always seem to do. I loved this one. It was a bit of a flashback because I know we spoke a lot about TikTok at the end of last year and we touched on it last week as well with regards to the Beirut explosion. I completely agree with Chloe. I think there's something so, the intersection between really ridiculous and really smart content is so pervasive over TikTok. Like Mm. I know I'm not as big of a TikTok fan as you, but I do find it a completely hilarious platform where I spend most of my time in complete awe of young people who are so smart and so incredible and so creative in the stuff that they are making. I find myself being consistently blown away by a couple of things. Firstly, how creative people are on this app, but also how clever and how funny they are all at once. I think it is just TikTok is the best place to go to see how incredible young people are and what they can achieve on this platform, whether or not it's just building an audience and building a community or doing something really artistic and cool It's a great app. I understand the issues, as we said last week, but I totally agree with Chloe. I think my first thoughts about this, about TikTok, have completely changed in the last six or seven months. And a quick shout out to all four or five people that DM'd me the TikTok video during the week of some random guy (laughs) dancing to the daily podcast (laughs) anthem. I very much appreciated you thinking of me. (laughs) If there is anything to get Zara into TikTok as much as I'm into TikTok, it's daily content. So keep bringing it. (laughs) Hey, let's actually get into to the show for now, Mish, because we are starting today with an influencer who broke Melbourne's lockdown laws. Yes. If you missed this, Beck Lomas, who is a Melbourne-based influencer, she has 166,000 Instagram followers, landed herself in a lot of hot water this week. A lot of hot water. Probably the most controversial influencer story we have seen make the mainstream media news cycle in quite a while, Zara. Yeah, well, that's exactly right. Like, it was the first time I can remember in a few months where an influencer story like this kind of penetrated beyond our group chats Mm. into the mainstream media. It was covered by Channel 9 and Pedestrian. And essentially what happened, for those who did miss it, is, as you said, Mish, Beck is a fitness influencer with over 160,000 
thousand Instagram followers. And on Saturday, she posted a screenshot of a, a walk that she had done with a friend, where it was very obvious that she'd walked for more than an hour. For those who aren't in Melbourne, the restrictions at the moment mean that you can only actually leave your house to exercise once a day for max an hour. But that wasn't the only thing, was it? No. So as you said, it was two and a half hours on Saturday. Saturday was her birthday, and then for consecutive days after that, Beck Lomas was out of her house multiple times. So she went for walks more than one time, or at least it appeared that way based on her social media. She also posed for photos without wearing a face covering or a face mask. Those who aren't in Melbourne might not know, but it is mandatory to be wearing some form of face covering if you are in Melbourne to stop the spread of coronavirus. So multiple violations and multiple rule breakings, I guess, on account of COVID rules and restrictions. Yeah, for sure. And the minute the backlash came, she issued a pretty lengthy apology. She wrote on Instagram, I'd like to express how sorry I am for what I've done. I'm not going to make excuses for it or try to spin the situation to make it sound better than it was. I'm a human and I made a mistake. I meant absolutely no harm to anyone. However, can now see the seriousness of the situation. I am taking this pandemic very seriously. If you're feeling anger towards me, please, all I ask is that you think twice before commenting or messaging me. I'm being inundated with threats and abuse. I know what I did was wrong and I have learned from it. I take full responsibility. Mm, now, it appears that Beck has been dropped by Fitbit ANZ. In fact, they actually confirmed that in a statement to the media. This is what I find interesting, Zara. A lot of these runs and a lot of this documentation of how often Beck Lomas was out of her house was on account of it being a paid collaboration with Fitbit Australia New Zealand. So it was this kind of like challenge between partners and between friends where you had to get out of your house or you had to do it within your house and get your active minutes up and beat the other person across the week. So when Beck was posting this stuff, it was sponsored content, or at least it appeared that way to me that she was trying to beat her partner and trying to get her active minutes up every single day. So this then brought Fitbit into the conversation who had to say, regrettably, a participant breached Victorian COVID-19 restrictions by exercising out of their home for longer than one hour. This was done at their own discretion and was not a directive from Fitbit. As a result, we have cancelled the challenge and terminated our working relationship with the participant. Big call from a brand, but I guess not surprising in this day and age that it's almost like the minute a brand is associated with a person or influencer who is kind of attracting negative publicity, the first thing the brand wants to do is separate themselves from it. It's Mm. almost not worth it for the brand at all, whether or not they think it's fair. Well, I'm almost surprised that Fitbit bothered to do this with Melbourne influencers. You would think that Melbourne influencers can't really get many active minutes up anyway. So to involve Beck and her partner, maybe it was a contract that existed long before the stage four restrictions came in. But I'm just surprised that there wasn't a conversation when Melbourne went into full lockdown to say, you know what, let's pause on this. It's probably not the best look or it's probably a little bit difficult for people to do this within their homes, right? Yeah, I 100% agree with you. I am surprised that there wasn't a conversation that happened behind closed doors before this all happened. I'm really interested in the intensity of the vitriol that was directed at Beck because we saw people calling for other brands to distance themselves from her. We saw her say that she was getting death threats and other really aggressive forms of abuse. And I think at the moment we're really good at making kind of character judgments about people Mm. based on a single decision that they make. Like she obviously did the wrong thing. There is no doubt about that. And I think at a time when people are killing themselves trying to abide by these restrictions so we can all hug our families again, it's a terrible look. 
That said, sending someone death threats and abuse to the point where it could completely overwhelm and damage someone's mental health, does that do more damage in itself than a long illegal walk? Yeah, well, this is the interesting thing, right? I think the pandemic has been an interesting social experiment in many ways. I think it has kind of separated people into two different groups, largely and loosely. So I think there is the group of vigilantism, the people who take the rules as like the letter of the law and they are ferocious and intense with following those laws and they cannot stand anyone who tries to bend the rules. And I think there is a lot of policing each other. There is a lot of side-eyeing going on and there's a lot of anger generally in the community. Like in Melbourne, there's a frostier, colder feeling amongst people than I can ever remember before stage four restrictions. I think the second group and the second form of behavior I've seen is that a lot of people think they're the exception to the rule, that they Mm -hmm. do think, well, these rules make sense, they're logical, they're fine, I respect them, but they apply to everyone else. And me, I'm I'm a responsible person. I'm a smart person. I can make kind of like common sense decisions that make sense for me. And I think unfortunately for Beck Lomas, what happened here was she might fit into that second group. She might be that second group that goes, okay, cool. So one hour a day, but the tangible impact of me staying out for a little bit longer, for going for that extra 5k walk or for taking a photo without a face mask when there's no one around, I don't see the tangible flow on impact of those actions. And I think what's happened here for her is that she has become the face of what was previously a faceless group of people bending these rules. And I think in Melbourne right now, a lot of us have kind of been feeling, this might seem like a weird analogy, but I've certainly been feeling like we've been in lockdown for so long. We've had these rules in place for so long. And yet the maths does not add up. We have changed the way we live. And yet the numbers keep going up. The deaths keep going up. The tragedy just keeps compounding press conference after press conference. And I have sat in my apartment scratching my fucking head going, how is it possible? How is this possible that things keep getting worse and yet we're all living completely differently? And it's weird, but it feels like to me, do you remember those public transport ads about fare evaders where you saw these like shadowy, sketchy figures like getting onto the tram? And they're like, you're stealing from the person next to you if you're not paying for this. Yeah, and they're all those like sketchy, like weird figures Mm. who are like ghost-like figures on public transport. That's what it's felt like to me with people breaking COVID restrictions. So to have a face to one of those people, I think unfortunately for Beck, she has received thousands of people's annoyance and anger and sadness all at once. And I don't think she's deserving of that, but I'm also not terribly surprised that that's happened. I'm not surprised in the slightest. I think... Firstly, there was actually, dare I say, I know you're going to kill me for saying this, there was a really interesting two-part series on The Daily this week and it was about (laughs) cancel culture and you will really like it. I didn't actually, I had no intent of recommending it at all or mentioning it. But the really interesting part about this episode is that they had some really interesting stats about how online call-out culture is far more intense at the moment purely because all of our lives are being lived virtually. Mm. And Facebook, I think, has reported through this period that usage is just through the roof and messaging for their messaging services up by 50%. So with that in mind, it's not at all surprising that something like this would cause a furor because we're all pretty edgy right now and we're living our entire lives online. And so all of our feelings and our thoughts about the world are actually... Actually existing virtually. It's really weird. 
touching on what you said before about how you can kind of largely separate people into two groups at the moment, I really agree with you. And I think almost dorkily, it comes down to this idea of civic duty. Like, are you a person that exists to make kind of the world around you better? Or are you a person that kind of thinks that your actions don't impact other people? Like, are you in this for everyone else? Or are you in it for yourself? And I think that in itself is a really interesting experiment when we've got an influencer at the center of it. I think one element that we probably haven't touched on enough right now is that people in Melbourne are really, really struggling. We've been in lockdown for more than 100 days if we combine part one and part two. People haven't seen their partners or their parents or their grandparents or even hugged a newborn baby that's joined their family since this entire thing began. And there's a lot of anger about that. And Beck, in this moment, was a punching bag for so many people who feel like their ability to work or be reunited with loved ones is dependent on a stranger following the rules. Mm. And I think we don't trust the strangers that the moment we're annoyed at the strangers because these strangers are getting in the way of us being able to work and see our family yeah and this is the curious thing about it all because when I saw the Beck Loma story break I did not feel a shred of anger towards Beck if anything I just feel sad like I feel sad that we're being kept away from our loved ones I feel sad that someone being out for a walk for an extra hour is receiving this kind of condemnation and this kind of backlash I feel sad that people are breaking the rules I think it's important for people to remember when they're sitting in their anger and they're sitting in their frustration Beck Lomas is not single-handedly responsible for the situation we're in there are tens of thousands probably hundreds of thousands of people who are doing similar things to her right now And I just think in these kind of situations, yes, consequences need to come. She did the wrong thing and consequences need to come. But as much as we care about the public health and the safety of people in this time, we also need to care about the mental health of the individual. And I can never sit back and be okay with people abusing someone or bullying someone online because they went for an extra hour long walk. I just think we're all sad. We're all angry. Please, though, be really careful with what you're doing with those emotions because they can do more than what you think. And even if it's just online and even if it's just through a screen, the flow on effect can be really disastrous. And I just really worry that when people sit in this anger and they sit in their apartments and they might feel lonely, they might feel isolated and they just want to unleash, they don't fully grasp what the consequences of their actions towards Beck Lomas could be. Yeah, I think that's really well put because I agree with you. I think we need to be able to call this stuff out. I think absolutely we need to be able to hold people to account when they do something that's not right. And I think we've said time and time again, this clearly wasn't right. But I want us to be able to call people out on their shit without the kind of gleefulness that sometimes seems to envelop these conversations, Mm. this gleefulness that someone's done something stupid and let's pull all her endorsement deals right now. The idea that someone is a good or bad person based on one decision they make doesn't really sit that well with me so like we said Mish call people out make sure everyone's doing the right thing but god damn let's make sure people's mental health is also at the forefront of this coming up after the break the bachelor scene that had the whole country talking but first a word from today's sponsor thank you next bitch And now it is time for the quick and dirty. Every week we bring you the top five stories from the rough and tumble of the celebrity news cycle. Zara, Alice, ugly-footed McDonald. What have you got for me? Whoa! You do have ugly feet. I do have disgustingly (laughs) ugly feet. But anywho, my first story. Miley Cyrus splits from boyfriend Cody Simpson after less than one year together. That is from the Daily Mail. And Mish, before I say anything, a little clap. 
to the Daily Mail for giving us a headline under, what, 12 words? Daily Mail, I don't know how you did it. I don't know what conversation happened behind the scenes. Maybe a Daily Mail editor listens to Shameless and thought, you know what, let's not write an entire paragraph for a headline. Bravo to whoever gave us that. Zero clickbait, zero fucking around, straight to the point. Straight to the fucking point. Got to be honest, Mish, I didn't actually know they were still together. See, I did because I am on TikTok all the time and they are quite partial to a TikTok dancing challenge. So for those who missed the memo, Miley and Cody were first romantically linked last October when they were, I think they were papped sharing a kiss maybe and then yeah. were like all over their Instagram feed sharing quite coupley kissy kissy photos together but they have been friends for a really really long time so Cody called Miley Cyrus his best friend in an interview way back in 2015 what I suspect happened here Zara is they were kind of forced together in March under coronavirus lockdown and potentially that kind of intimacy and that kind of living on top of each other doesn't really sit well with celebrities who might be used to relationships where they're halfway across the world half the time. Yeah, 100%. 100%. I think there's a lot of couples who have been forced together by coronavirus in a good way and also in a way where you suddenly realise, oh, there's no one else to hang out with. How much am I banking on this being my forever? I do want to add before we move on, they did make the cardinal error of getting matching couple tattoos. They got like a tattoo to signify Cody Simpson's poetry book. Did you know he had a poetry book called Prince Neptune? No, but now I need to read it. Yeah, it's like a little thing they've both got in their wrist. <laughs> Sad to say they've split, not overly surprised. Honestly, good work to them for lasting this long. I thought it'd be like a three-week fling. Absolutely. Story number two. Imagine the outfits. Eddie Maguire calls for Brownlow medal change. That was from Yahoo. Michelle, this was an interesting story that didn't get a heap of airtime this week, but it was based on a pretty questionable comment made by Eddie Maguire commentating last weekend on Triple M. You messaged me about this at the time and you were quite upset about it and I totally understand why. A bit of a pervy and uncomfortable comment from Eddie Maguire here. Basically, he was commenting on the fact that the Brownlow Medal Award, which has always been held in Melbourne at Crown, might now be moving north and it might be going to Queensland. And of course, we know when things move north, the temperatures rise and women (laughs) might be wearing slightly different dresses. So Eddie Maguire seemed to be pulling at the thread that women would be wearing less clothing at the Brownlow and he was quite excited about that. He's quite point was, imagine the outfits the girls would be able to wear because it'll be quite warm up there. So one can only assume, and I'm not trying to be biased here, one can only assume that if you look at that comment, you think the only reasonable conclusion you can draw is that he's imagining girls wearing less clothing because it's warmer. Also, it doesn't make much sense given all the girls just wear ball gowns anyway and kind of <laughs> it's not very dependent on the weather of Melbourne anyway. Imagine Eddie Maguire thinking that the weather actually determines what anyone wears to a black tie event. <laughs> Women will shiver through anything. They will put themselves on the line to wear the outfit they want. I just always find myself coming back to the same thought and that is how has Eddie Maguire managed to be like the cat with nine lives in this media industry. Like he has gaff after gaff. He's had racist comment after racist comment, sexist comment after sexist comment. And it just feels like he's coated in Teflon, that he'll be in that role forever, no matter what comes out of his mouth. It's a good example of how power functions, particularly in the AFL industry, isn't it? I mean, I I personally can never get past the Adam Goods stuff. And I think a lot of people who have watched the documentaries that are around, which are brilliant, both of them, about the Adam Goods saga, particularly concerning Eddie Maguire, it's 
it's almost impossible to reckon with what happened at that time and feel positively about Eddie Maguire's role, not only in that story, but in many others, like the stories about Caroline Wilson and women in the industry. So yeah, I'm unfortunately not surprised, but I am disappointed consistently by some of the things that come out of Eddie Maguire's mouth. Story number three, Chrissy Teigen and John Legend reveal they're expecting third baby. That is from news.com. This is so exciting. We don't have much to say about it. Basically, John Legend (laughs) released a new music video. In that music video, it was revealed that Chrissy Teigen is in fact pregnant, does in fact have a baby bump to show the world. And this new baby will eventually be a sibling to Luna, who is four, and Miles, who is two. Very, very happy news. I was just about to say, I read the headline and I was like, well, that's it. That's the whole tweet. There's not much else to say other than I'm really happy for them. And I never really get that happy for random celebrities. So congratulations, Chrissy and John. I know you are listening. Story number four. Rihanna is surely expanding her empire with a new trademark for kitchenware and hot sauce. That is from Pedestrian. What is going on here? I feel like Rihanna's just taking over the world. Like what an empire she's building. For all the chatter we have about the Kardashians building their empires, I feel like Rihanna is just in the background quietly establishing herself as a cosmetic, skincare, lingerie, and now apparently cookware queen. I can't get over it. Tell you what, reminds me a bit. I say it reminds me a bit. Flex Mommy starting to do a little bit the same on Australian soil by taking over cushions and coasters yes. and card games. If Flex starts modeling herself off Rihanna, she's also going to have a similar kind of entrepreneur empire. I feel like Flex is our Australian version of Rihanna and she is also building an empire day by day. I feel like every single day Flex Mommy is doing something new and exciting. She makes me feel so lazy just by following her. Her success stresses me out. Her, like, like the consistency with which she releases something actually stresses me out because I'm like, are you sleeping? Anyway, we got very quickly from Rihanna to Flex, but all I'm going to say is very here for the women who are just creating all of these things left, right and center and are going to soon own the world. My fifth and final story, Michelle, Katy Perry defends her recent support of Ellen DeGeneres. I'm not here to make everyone agree with me. That is from Business Insider. You're over the Ellen story, aren't you? I'm so sick of seeing Ellen DeGeneres headlines and I'm probably sick of it because every second one details how some new glittery celebrity is leaping to the television show host's defense. I do not find it relevant under any circumstance what Katy Perry thinks of Ellen. Katy Perry is a celebrity. Of course, Ellen is going to treat her in a certain way because Katy Perry holds power. It baffles me how people with power are blind to the fact that their power would influence people's interactions with them. Katy Perry probably has everyone in her life being perfectly lovely and nice to her because she's a celebrity. The average person working for the Ellen show earning $12 an hour does not have that privilege. Preach it, sister. I didn't even need to say much. I mean, you say you're bored of the story, but that was quite a monologue. I'm just sick of all these celebrities making the same mistake. Like Jay Leno came out and did it. Like, we know people treat you well. You're very rich and famous. It's not relevant to this story. Well, this is what I actually find very interesting in that earlier in August, some people might have seen Katy Perry did tweet her support of Ellen. She said, I know I can't speak for anyone else's experience besides my own, but I want to acknowledge I've only had positive takeaways from my time with Ellen and on the Ellen show. I think we all have witnessed the light and continual fight for equality that she has brought to the world through her platform for decades, sending you love and a hug. She was asked 
asked about this in a recent interview with the LA Times and she said, I did say I only wanted to speak for my own experience and also I have 100 million Twitter followers so of course people are going to disagree with me, which I think kind of missed the point. It's, oh, I have, I have nothing else to say. I can just like shrug and like groan for the rest of this segment because I am so sick of it. And I think celebrities who do this expose themselves as potentially not being the best critical thinkers. Is that too harsh? No, I don't think it's very self-aware at all. It's bang on. Well done. Hey, that's all I've got for you. (laughs) Thank you so much. (laughs) Bye. Three, two, one. In case you missed it, The Bachelor is back and it's basically all anyone can talk about right now. Perth local Lockie Gilbert is officially trying to find his soulmate and Wednesday night's premiere included perhaps the most controversial moment in the franchise's history. A white, red-headed contestant, Zoe Clare, complaining of discrimination at the hands of one of the few contestants of colour, Pakistani-Australian Ariba Emanuel. But before we get into the meaty stuff, Mish, let's cover the sugar. Did you tune in to the season premiere? I did, and I'm about to expose myself as the world's biggest fraud because I'm pretty sure that not that long ago I jumped on this exact podcast and swore that I would never be watching Lockie Gilbert and he has lost me as a viewer as has the franchise. And yet there I was on Wednesday night, popcorn in hand, glass of wine in hand, ready to dive in. Here's the thing, right, because I have long been critical of the last few seasons of The Bachelor and trust me, I have my fair share of critique about this season too. But I was really pulled in. Like, I feel like I'm back watching it and I'm surprised that I feel like that. I wonder if they were able to turn this whole thing around. And when I say this whole thing, I mean the bad press that plagued Lockie before he even started filming. Like I said a couple of weeks ago, I wonder if it's a case of the pandemic falling on top of the world and so much time passing between that news story that we've forgotten or people like you or I have very little going on in our lives right now because we have the benefit of working from home and not doing much else. We're suddenly pulled into a TV show that's just very sugary. Yeah, well, it's interesting, right? Because I thought the ratings for this season would be really good. We saw that in COVID-19 times, the ratings for shows like MasterChef went through the roof. We've seen reality TV perform really well across the board. And yet, ratings for the bachelor premiere were so down on last year like down by more than 200,000 viewers so Lockie Gilbert's episode got 681,000 viewers across Australia compared with 896,000 for Matt Agnew season last year so I found that really fascinating I feel like the people who actually watched the first episode are kind of on board now I feel like there's a very passionate following I feel like the fans of the show are really on board are really invested in the narrative and yet potentially the fallout between Lockie and Brooke and kind of the idea that maybe he's a bit of a playboy did mean that 200,000 people didn't even bother to try to tune in. By the way, if you are an international listener and you're listening to us talking about Brooke and Lockie and all this drama, you might have missed it. Basically, Lockie was a contestant on Survivor Australia. He was dating another fellow contestant on that show called Brooke Jowett. Brooke Jowett was then unceremoniously dumped so that Lockie could go on The Bachelor and become a little bit more Instagram famous, I guess. Nice recap. I have to agree with you. I was really surprised that the numbers were down and it wasn't just on the first night too. I read as well the second episode that fell on Thursday night pulled only about 600,000 people and was the smallest national crowd ever and the lowest metro audience the show has seen for a very long time. Whoa. Yeah, so not many people are tuning into this. I wonder if I was in a, a little bit of my Melbourne bubble where literally nothing else was going on so people tuned in, so my friends were watching and you were watching. Mm. 
Um, But beyond that, it doesn't seem like Australia is generally tuning in. Yeah, interesting, right? Particularly Perth. Perth is Lockie's home state and that's where the show struggled the most, which really bucks the trend. Yeah, it bucks the trend of bachelors and bachelorettes. They always seem to perform well in whatever home state they're from. About 60,000 people in Perth tuned in. The Bachelor premiere didn't even beat game show The Chase or Highway Patrol. Okay, in fairness... The chase is not bad. <laughs> the chase is pretty good. But like, but come on, that's interesting, right? 100%. Given how much money would be thrown at The Bachelor in comparison to a show like Highway Patrol, that is surprising. I want to talk about Lockie for a second and how we consider him after the first couple of episodes as, you know, Australia's biggest and best bachelor. For me, I think he's fine. I'm not I'm not on the Lockie train completely. All I could think of is like he seems to be a good flirter in the most kind of stereotypical flirting scenario you can imagine. Mm, Do you know what I mean by that? Yeah, Yeah. he's like, he's a stereotypical masculine Aussie, would love to drink a beer with the boys, but like gets along with girls as well. Well, it's like this weird sense of charm, I think. And it made me realise how fucking terrible I'd be on a show like this. Because I'm really, really bad flirter. Like horrendous. I remember when I became single, all my friends said that I needed to take classes or lessons in flirting. Because <laughs> I was so bad at it. And I was watching Steph and Lockie. So Steph was the first contestant that got out of the car. And they mm. were bantering about a burrito. And I was like, how are you having this conversation? Like you're essentially talking about fucking nothing. You're not talking about anything. You're talking about Chipotle. How are you both enjoying yourself so much? Very like zany banter back and forth about like, a lunch meal. Oh, yeah, completely. Speaking of burrito, incident burrito, I think one of my biggest issues, well, not one of my biggest issues actually, but one of the things that I noted down from that first episode was a comment I didn't particularly love coming out of Lockie's mouth. Steph oh, obviously I know what came into the be. show yep, and said she loves eating a burrito. And I think in a later interview, Lockie said, any girl that looks like Steph and can smash a burrito is one for me. It's very much of the ilk that burritos and pizza and junk food are only cool so long as you are thin and you have yeah, like completely. pretty privilege that if you aren't thin and you're eating burritos, suddenly you're a slob. It so ties into that age-old narrative that a cool girl can eat burritos so long as she's a size 6 or a size 8. Well, that's the other thought that I had in my mind. It kind of feels like Lockie Gilbert is going to go for the very stereotypical, very classic concept of Gillian Flynn's cool girl, that he mm. wants a girl who's super outdoorsy, who smashes a burrito with him, who's really, really chilled out. And I really am very interested to see how that narrative plays out over the course of this season. Absolutely agree. Before we get to the most talked about moment from the show that I can remember in recent history, tell me, who do you think is going to win? So I have a bit of a theory about this, right? Mm-hmm. I did a bit of digging before coming on here because I also got a wealth of DMs asking me who I thought was going to win because I'm meant to be the Oracle. You're not the Oracle, but did your digging just comprise of you looking on Sportsbet? No, you'll actually find <laughs> this very funny. I didn't go to Sportsbet. What I did, and I actually stumbled upon this. So this is going to sound really ridiculous and way OTT, but I have to be honest about my sleuthing skills. Oh, God. I was stalking contestant Bella on Instagram because I was like, she must be the winner. She must be mm-hmm. the winner. And I was stalking her and I went really deep on her profile and stumbled upon a photo that was liked by Brooke Jowett. Then I went to her following list and realized that Brooke Jowett is following Bella. And I don't think Brooke Jowett would be following Bella if she won. I think they've bonded over Bella coming second. And Lockie's saying that he's in love with her. Well, backtrack, getting backtrack, dumped. backtrack. You're getting so ahead of yourself. 
Bella's not even allowed to tell her best friends if she's won. What makes you think that Brooke Jowett would have like the key to The Bachelor secret? Brooke has the key and she's following Bella and Bella comes second, which means the first spot is up to someone like Irina. I think Nicole will come Sarah, top five. The, fi- the no. final two will be Irina and Bella and Bella will be dumped at the final hurdle. But Bella is friends with a lot of like the Sydney influencer scene and Brooke Jowett is also now that she's a reality star. Couldn't it just be that they have mutual friends and they run in the same circles? And that's why this photo was liked all those weeks ago. Why would Brooke Jowett meet Bella through having her heart broken by Lockie Gilbert and then scroll back months to like an old photo? Isn't it more likely they knew each other before Bella went on the show? No, shut up. Oh, Next. Your theory's <laughs> just been smashed. It hasn't been smashed. I still think it to be true. Okay, you can think that all you want. I'm going to sit over here and feel like Bella definitely wins. Let's talk about Zoe Claire, though. Zoe Claire will not be the winner of Lockie's Heart, but she is absolutely there to stir up a bit of drama. And the drama seemed to have a very political edge to it in the first episode, Zara. Yeah, for sure. So for those who missed it, Zoe Claire is a 23-year-old contestant from Brisbane. And after having quite a few drinks on the show she kind of had this little mini breakdown where she said that as a redhead, she was part of a minority and was consistently discriminated on because of her hair. Here's some of the audio from that moment. One time that I can walk into something and I'm like, no one has my hair. No one has my bone structure. No one has my body. And they don't. And that's not a lie. They don't. But you're still different. You're still a rang on at the end of the day and that sucks because they think no matter what, oh, it's fine, she's different. And like, did the Reba do it to any of the blonde girls? Any of the brunette girls? No. So did someone say something to you about it? Or did you hear someone say something? No. You know what? I'm proud of being a ranger. I will be a ranger until the day I die. We are more striking than any other human this work that walks this earth. Don't have our blue eyes or brown, or our green eyes. That literally can stop traffic. You sure as shit don't have our hair. <laughs> I don't even know. Like when I watched this unfold on Wednesday night. I was in disbelief. Like, I was almost crying with laughter because I just couldn't comprehend what the fuck was going on. I think that was a huge sense around it. Like, I think people were genuinely (laughs) in complete disbelief being like, did I actually just watch that? And I think my phone went off at exactly the same time from so many friends being like, (laughs) is anybody else watching this? There are so (laughs) many layers to it, Mish. There are. And this is the funny thing because my gut reaction to watching this was just pure frivolity, like pure laughter, pure confusion. But as I've gone back throughout the week and rewatched it as part of research for this podcast, I've realized there's a lot that we need to unpack here. So what happened here was quintessential first episode drama of another girl coming in and trying to cut someone's grass and like cut down their time with The Bachelor in the very first episode when everyone's vying for that first rose. Zoe Claire took huge offense at that happening. She was extremely offended that someone, especially a Reba, would dare to interrupt her while she was sitting down with Lockie. And what I found so interesting about this was that Zoe Claire repeatedly said she felt like a Reba was targeting her for her red hair. She didn't feel like it was the other girls in the mansion. She didn't feel like the discrimination was across the board from every contestant. She felt like she was being discriminated against by one of the very few women in the Bachelor Mansion who happens to not be white. Yeah, and I think this is one of the more 
more important points we can make about the series premiere of this show is that Zoe Claire was there talking about how somehow she was part of this minority, accusing one of the only women of colour in that house as targeting her as being part of a minority. Like, it's a bit mm. of a mind fuck. I thought one of our listeners, Mish uh, Salia, who operates the Instagram account Salia Official, who people might remember from our old Facebook group because she was quite active in there, had a really popular Instagram post on her account this week, which I'll pop in the show notes. She had really, really clever insight into how racism played out on this first episode of The Bachelor. And she noted, and this is a quote from her Instagram caption, Zoe's use of white tears and a victim complex to weaponize her white femininity was insidious as fuck. And I thought this was a really interesting point and a really important point for us to start. Yeah. And what I found really interesting about this episode as well is that, of course, I was in group chats with all my girlfriends. We were all kind of like completely baffled and completely confused as to why Zoe Claire was so upset about her red hair. And we even had some listeners DM us during the week, Zara, to say having red hair does single you out. It does make you feel like an other. It does make you feel like you don't fit in sometimes. And let me say, anyone listening who has felt that way about anything, whether it's your red hair or whether it's you're too tall or too thin or too fat or too short, that's never a nice feeling. I feel like every single person listening to this podcast right now, I feel like you and I, Zara, have all been through the feeling of not fitting in or standing out for a reason that we feel is negative. However, being picked on for something as a kid and feeling like an other as a kid or feeling like that as a white person doesn't even scratch the surface of what it is to experience actual discrimination for your skin colour and your race. And I think as much as I have time to hear people talk about what makes them feel like an other, and as much as I want to talk about bullying and talk about red hair and how that might make kids feel unseen or unheard, we cannot compare that to actual racism. Particularly in the context of Zoe actually mocking Ariba's name Mm. and also calling her a mole this close to her face. And I think the other thing that Celia noted in her Instagram post that I quoted before was how often Zoe made mention of her white skin and her Anglo bone structure as indicators of why she deserves respect from this woman of colour. Yeah. For anyone listening to this who goes, okay, well, Give me an example, like how do we know that someone like Ariba has experienced more discrimination than someone like Zoe Clare? An analysis of hate crime data in 2019 found that in New South Wales, Indian and Pakistani people are on the receiving end of more bias-fueled hate in Australia than any other minority. So I feel like this is such a poignant example and this is why I really genuinely love reality TV analysis because I do think it reveals so much about our culture that we have a white woman accosting a woman of colour saying no one here knows what it's like to walk into a room and be immediately judged based on how you look when that's likely something that Ariba has experienced on a daily basis living in Australia and experiencing the racism that permeates this country. It's quite curious to me because I know that there's a lot of conversations happening here now about the fact that Zoe Claire was clearly very drunk and it was so obvious that she was blind. Like I don't think anyone can deny that. Zoe Claire was so drunk that she couldn't stand up to take part in the rose ceremony and I'm interested in the relevance of this point because there was a lot going on in this episode right but as I kind of got to the end of the episode and could see how drunk these contestants were I started wondering if this had any relevance in the conversation at all and not at all from the the perspective of is drunkenness ever an excuse for racism because it's not like it's absolutely Mm. not an excuse for racism but is there room for a separate point about whether we should ever be watching people this drunk on television yeah I don't think so and I think it's why shows like Love Island have a really strict policy of two drinks 
per night per contestant only. I think the drunkenness on The Bachelor is quite an outlier compared to other reality shows. Other reality show producers really try to limit this kind of behavior because they clearly don't think it does much good. And unfortunately, I don't think the Bachelor franchise is going to change their attitude towards drinking and kind of plying the contestants with champagne and Prosecco on the first night because that exact drunkenness is what gives us moments like this. I do want to shout out writer Jerome Dorizami because he wrote some incredible tweets on the night that this episode went live. We actually shared one of them on our Instagram account. And I think why I liked his work around this episode is because he didn't bully Zoe Claire. He wasn't going to her account and writing her abusive messages or leaving clown emojis on her posts. What he was doing though was highlighting the irony with some of her comments. So his first tweet was, When it comes to fighting discrimination, Rosa Parks walked so Zoe Claire could run, which I think is incredible. And then his second tweet was, Lord, give me the confidence of a privileged white woman claiming discrimination based on hair color. I think that's the way to go about it. I think we can really bring about societal change. We can shift attitudes and we can educate each other about what casual racism looks like with commentary like that. We don't educate anyone and we don't push the narrative forward when we attack the person. Yeah, so I love those tweets as well and what I started thinking as I went through the week because as I said to you I was thinking what relevance does drunkenness have here and how ethical is it for a production and this show to be plying these women with alcohol I started to actually think after I reading a lot of Celia's stuff on Instagram and her hundreds of comments on that post was this idea of how would we have treated Ariba if she was the really drunk one and the roles were reversed if she was standing over someone a centimeter from their face pointing to their face calling them a mole we wouldn't be as forgiving we wouldn't allow her to be seen as a victim like we're seeing so many people coming to bat for Zoe Claire and we'd consider her completely aggressive for me I think that's the most important takeaway from this entire first episode and from this entire conversation, I think we need to watch this series as carefully as we possibly can because racism may well permeate the entire thing. Yeah, that's a great point. And I think that's why you and I love dissecting reality television so much and why we think it is an important thing to do because it does platform some super important and highlight some super important facets of society that would otherwise go unexamined. That said, Zara, I think that's all we have time for today. I think it is. Thank you so much for listening as always. We can't wait for Thursday when we can drop our episode and interview with Jamila Jamil. Yay! It was such a good chat. We loved it so much. Highlight of our careers. <laughs> Just <laughs> Don't even overstate it. It's true. Between now and then, though, as always, we'll be on Instagram at Shameless Podcast. We will be in our book club Facebook group, Shameless Podcast Book Club. Mish, have I missed anything? Well, come donate to the Friendship Fund. It's still open until tonight, as we said at the top of the episode. Let's raise some more money for women escaping domestic violence and, of course, their children. We would love to push that up to a 11,000 or 12,000 if we can by the end of the day. The more money, the better. Thank you to everyone who has already gotten involved. It is probably one of our favourite elements of this job that we can raise money and do some good at the same time as bringing you massive Bachelor segments. The highs and the lows. We will be back in your ears on Thursday. Bye, guys. Bye. Oh, hi, it's Annabelle Lee and Louis Hansen here. We are your hosts of Everybody Has a Secret. Woo! Woo! We are here essentially just to let you know that we drop episodes every week now. Every damn Friday morning, we are in your ears. That is so exciting. What a time <laughs> to be in your ear holes. So essentially, <laughs> each episode, we unpack the real life secrets of our listeners. So this is for everyone who loves, you know, just a little bit of gossip in mm-hmm. their lives, which let's be real, Annabelle, 
is all of us. It's absolutely all of us. Don't lie. You all love gossip. So if you want to listen to our show, please do head to your favourite podcast app and listen now. See you there. Bye.